You know, if the businesses prosper, the people prosper. Being a part of that and understanding the banking community in our state, I think is something that's going to have some impact that I'm really, really looking forward to being a part of. Welcome to the Next Generation Podcast presented by Generations Bank. I'm Luke Hannon. I'm Max Harrell. We have Mr. Randy Torres with us today, probably the most famous person in Siloam, at least that I'm aware of. But Randy, great to have you today. Well, thank you, Max. It's a delight to be here today and uh, get to share this important time with you and with the listeners of these podcasts. I know a lot of people have gotten a lot of value out of it, and to be a part of that really means a great deal to me. I appreciate you saying that. So all 10,000 or 100 listeners, whichever one, whichever one you are, we we do appreciate it. And uh, we're fortunate or unfortunate to be without Luke today. But super excited to have you here, Randy. And, and and so, Randy, if you don't mind just kind of giving our listeners just uh, an overview, uh, you know, your your personal story and just kind of from A to Z or, or as far as you want to go. Sure. Well, I'll tell you, I'm a product of the state of Texas, uh, and I consider myself here in Arkansas as a foreign missionary of sorts. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I was, I was born in Austin, uh, Texas, and then raised 60 miles south of Austin in a rural community, much like Siloam Springs, Arkansas, where I live now, uh, where, you know, predominantly you have cattle, you know, poultry and oil, you know, and that's kind of the main staples of the economy there. Um, you know, uh, grew up on my grandfather's farm. Uh, we raised broilers, you know, and cattle. I had a cow-calf operation and so forth. Uh, and, uh, you know, was very grateful to have a rural setting to grow up in. Uh, that being said, um, I was, you know, kind of uh, in, in, in a lane of, of development over time that was somewhat kind of, kind of stagnated uh, in a rural community like that. Uh, and I recognized the fact that if I wanted to do anything different, you know, I'd need to get an education. Um, I was told by school counselors and so forth that I wasn't uh, you know, college material or anything like that, and to consider the farm, you know, my place to be for the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, that wasn't so bad, uh, but realizing the fact that I wanted to do more things, I recognized the fact that I needed to get moving in a different direction. And, and I think what helped me propel towards that vision for myself was, uh, you know, growing up in poverty, you know, uh, grew up uh, without electricity from time to time. Uh, grew up with a disconnected phone during my high school years. And struggling like that made me realize that, you know what, uh, this is not how I want to live. Um, so fortunately, my grandfather, uh, you know, spent a lot of time with me out on the farm and taught me really my work ethic uh, and also taught me how to drive. And one day as we were driving from ranch to ranch, you know, checking cattle, uh, you know, I was probably one of the darkest times of my life and uh, desperate times in my life. And I was, uh, I think, 11 years old. And uh, as we're driving along the gravel road, my, I asked my grandpa, I said, you know, grandpa, I said, you know, why is life so different for me uh, than it is for you? You know, because he was very successful and, and did very well in his life. Um, and he said, well, son, it's because I live by principles. 
And I'd never really even heard, I don't think, the term principles. Um, and he says, I'll, I'll share those with you. And boy, I tell you what, I was like a dried sponge, you know, ready for anything he could share with me. And he said, there's, there's three things I want you to hear, and I don't want you to ever forget them. And so the first thing, first principle he shared with me was, he said, you know, thank the good Lord for everything and never feel like it was you that did anything to deserve it. So he understood grace, okay? That's the first one. The second one he said was, don't ever lose respect for your spouse or for yourself. He says, once you've lost that, you've lost everything. So respect was his second uh, principle. And then the third was simply this. He said, uh, Randy, he says, when you get a dollar in your hand, he says, you only have two choices. He says, you can either spend it on an alligator, uh, and an alligator will eat and eat and eat and never give you anything in return. He said, in fact, it'll end up biting the hand it's feeding it, you know? He says, or you can take that dollar and you can invest it into a milk cow. And he said, a milk cow will milk for you while you sleep, and she'll reproduce herself for you. And so he said, don't ever buy an alligator unless you have enough milk cows to pay for them. So that was really a, more of a matter of stewardship was his third principle. And so those were three principles that I recognized and thought, you know what, I'm going to apply these to my life. And uh, you know, right after that, uh, I, you know, ended up meeting my wife, uh, got married, started a business right before I graduated from Texas A&M uh, with an animal science degree. Of course, a major in animal science because I thought the only thing you could be in life and be successful was a veterinarian, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been hearing about milk cows and alligators, so it only makes sense, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, you know, uh, but before, uh, you know, thinking that I would get out of school and I was the first one in my family to ever go and get a college degree, uh, I thought, you know, I would get this good corporate job somewhere, you know, and leverage my knowledge. And what I ended up doing was picking up trash. Uh, I got an opportunity to clean up a property, a high-end condominium right across from the sorority houses, and they paid me X dollars a month. And I took that opportunity and I stewarded it to its uh, nth degree, so to speak, and it wasn't long before they started giving me another property and another property, and then it went to the commercial side. Uh, and before we knew it, you know, Molly and I had this business that was on our lap that uh, was the second largest service company, and it's in the community of Bryan College Station, Texas. Wow. Yeah. And so taking that opportunity to earn uh, more money than I'd ever thought we could ever earn, uh, we invested it all into rental properties. And over time, uh, you know, met with a banker friend of mine uh, with Wells Fargo, Dave Stewart, a really good, good friend of mine. I'd go see him and he'd go through my financials with me every quarter. Uh, he'd pray with me uh, and give me guidance on, you know, taxable events. And I learned a ton from him. And, uh, and at the age of 31, Max, I was completely financially free. I owned my own my home. I owned all of our rental properties were paid off, our cars, everything was paid off. And so uh, it was really valuable that my grandfather would take the time to share principles with me that I could adopt and leverage so early in my life. That's great. That's great. 
Well, well, Randy, it's obviously uh, served you very well, uh, you know, throughout your life and 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 into your career paths. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, obviously you you moved up here to Northwest Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of take us through what the move looked like and and how you how you got up here uh, to, as you say, a uh, what'd you say, a foreigner, a foreign, foreign missionary, foreign missionary yes. to, to become a foreign missionary. That's exactly right. Well, what brought me to Northwest Arkansas was the idea that I could come to John Brown University, which was where my wife went to school. Uh, and they had got, uh, they'd sent a postcard uh, that I got that talked about this new graduate program in ministry. And I'd gotten involved in a little Baptist church in, in Bryan, Texas, and really started to enjoy ministry. And I thought, wow, that would be a really unique, fun thing to be able to do. And I sensed the fact that, you know what, I'm financially free. I've got rental income coming in. Why not? You know, this is something that I could consider doing. So we did. Uh, We sold our home and bought more rental properties and moved to Salem Springs and started graduate uh, studies in ministry at John Brown University. And, um, you know, and so then eventually worked for Fellowship Bible Church at Northwest Arkansas as a community pastor in our community. And, and I really thought, you know, Max, that, that ministry was my future. Uh, and uh, then, you know, of course, worked in higher education there at JBU, uh, did graduate admissions and so forth, which has helped me really a lot with understanding people's needs, you know, and being able to guide them, you know, into a career field or, and so forth. And so I think a lot of those elements kind of came to, uh, and finally I kind of came to a point where I knew I needed to do something different. I was, I was felt like, you know, I felt like a licensed barber in Salem Springs and everybody was bald, you yeah. know, <laughs> got 61 churches there, you know, and your level of impact just, uh, you know, just wasn't what I thought, you yeah. know, um, and so I exhausted the ministry uh, opportunities in my mind, and I felt like, you know, the Lord just said, you know, I don't need you looking in the rearview mirror. Uh, and the only option on the table, Max, was going into banking. Uh, I had a bank, a local bank that was pursuing me and trying to convince me that banking was something I needed to consider doing. And when all the other options kind of went off the table and the only thing on the table was banking, I thought, why would I want to do that, you know? Um, And then I really realized uh, by the question that kind of came to my heart was, Randy, why are you where you are so early in life, you know? And I thought, well, beyond grace, which, of course, you know, it's the first principle I learned from my grandfather, uh, it had a lot to do with a a banker that was put in my life, Dave Stewart. And uh, I said, well, my banker. You know, that's why I'm where I am financially so early in life. And then the question kind of came to my heart. It was like, well, why wouldn't you want to be that for others? And I thought, oh, okay. And so in all honesty, Max, it was like all those years of not just running my own business, but being banked really helped me understand how to be a banker. Yeah. So we've made our way through the life of Randy Torres but um, you've stepped into this banking career, and and obviously we, you know, you and I know each other from from that field and right. um, work together. And so, but how has it been a career that you has been fulfilling to you to this point as well? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, Max, it all boils down to relationships. Uh, I think banking was, uh, you know, there's the numbers 
the, the people behind the numbers is what I really have a passion for. Uh, not just understanding your customers, but understanding your community uh, and being able to get involved one on one with customers and even in uh, the larger context of the community by serving the community, uh, you know, uh, conducting cookouts, you know, for uh, fundraisers in the community, uh, hosting events on our farm, you know, for nonprofit organizations to try to meet the funding needs and the vision to, to fund their visions, you know, um, all of those things, uh, including doing a hospital visit, you know, uh, for a customer uh, that's not expected like I was when I was a pastor, but, you know, your banker shows up to the hospital room and is there, you know, to, to check on you and, and pray with you. Uh, you know, that, that element of that really helped me understand that ministry in the workplace was something that I was uh, never really thought much about, but really helped kind of solidify my decision to be in banking. Great, great. And you mentioned the, uh, um, you know, hosting events out at the barn, you know, mm-hmm. on your, on, at your place. Um, I, I'd like to make a note that you do host an annual football game that just happens to happen and have the same result every year, the uh, A&M Arkansas game. I'm sure you had a great time watching it this year. I, I did. You know, as an Aggie, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's it been challenging over the years to get more Razorbacks to show up anymore, but uh, but we've had a lot of fun. Yeah. It, it's, been a, it's been a blast. It's not fun for if everybody's on the same side of the ball. You You're know? right. So yeah. rivalry can make it a whole lot more fun. That's right. Do you guys split the audience? Do you make sure that there's a line and Razorbacks on one side and Aggies on the other? Or do, do people co-mingle? I mean, you know, people can co-mingle if there's food. Ah, uh, understood. But, but apart from the food table, yeah, they tend to flock into their own colors. You food, know, birds food. of the feather flock together. <laughs> understood. <laughs> food and drink really help uh, help bring everybody together. I totally understand it, that. It does. So, you know, you are, are running for office for a state representative position. Uh, do you mind just kind of walking us through, you know, hey, why why is this something that you're pursuing? You know, Max, I've, I've, I've had an interest and in, and. In, potentially pursuing an office in, in local or state government, uh, primarily state government, quite honestly, because I've never lived in the city limits of, of a community. I've always lived outside the city limits. Uh, but, you know, having a family, you know, having, you know, kids in college and so forth, uh, you know, the timing for me was never ideal. Uh, and the other factor was, was that we always had really great state representatives, you know, so there wasn't a reason to even give it consideration. Uh, and then recently, um, I, I wasn't even aware of the fact that our, our um, state representative was not going to run for re-election. Uh, and I got a phone call one afternoon at the bank, and uh, this was a, you know, considerable uh you know, influential uh, community leader uh, that gave me a call and asked me if I was aware of the fact that our state representative wasn't running for re-election. And I said, no, I, d- I didn't know that. And, and uh, this individual says, well, I'm calling you to ask you to consider running. And I thought, well, wait a minute, I've got a full-time job. You know, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got a bank team. I'm, you know, I'm involved in the community. In the community, I'm on like five boards. You know, I don't yeah, know that. How do, I, how do I have time for this? Exactly. Yeah. You know, I thought I'm, I'm not sure I have the margin for it. Um, but I said, you know, thank you for the call. You know, and uh, and I'll, I'll I'll give it some consideration. You know, uh, well, then a week later, I get another phone call, 
and this is, uh, uh, you know, a state representative, and um, and they reached out, and and basically the same thing. And I thought, well, you know, this is becoming a little odd. Uh, then after the fourth phone call, you know, and it's it's someone in the legislature, and they said, look, we typically talk people out of running. Uh, we try <laughs> to convince them that this isn't something that they should do. Uh, what do I need to do or say to get you to run? And I thought, okay. I said, Lord, you know, I've never, ever had to go hunt for something to do. You've always brought it and laid it on my lap. And is this an assignment that you want me to consider? And when I started thinking about all of the obstacles, you know, that I'd have all the walls I'd have to get over, I thought, you know, it'll probably play its way out. And really, it'll be very evident that this is probably not something I should consider doing. But uh, as I started going through the process, uh, it seems like, Max, the, um, the Red Sea just parted and continued to part. And, and every um, mile marker was a green light. And it's been that way up until this very moment. And so nothing but confirmation and affirmation that this is something that I should consider doing. And it really boils down to uh, the values that my grandfather shared with me and stewardship. Uh, you know, as you said, I've, banking isn't the only thing that I've done. Uh, you know, I've done a number of things that uniquely position me to understand and relate to most everyone in my community. You know, having rental properties, being in higher education, experience around owning my own business, uh, running a cow-calf operation, being in banking, being a pastor, running HR for a consumer packaged good company. I mean, there's just it's just ironic that I've got all of these varia- uh, variations of experiences that all have occurred within the city limits of my community all these years for 22 years. Uh, and in being involved with a lot of the nonprofit organizations in the community and having all uh, a lot of the relationships already established, I thought, you know what, this may be an investment uh, that I need to consider doing. You know, Salome has, has been your home now for over a decade, mm-hmm. right? Uh, two. Two decades. Two decades. Yeah. So two decades. So w- what would you kind of say, you know, makes Salome, not just your home, but but such a great community? You know, I, I think Salome Springs uh, has been able to maintain that small town feeling that I think a lot of people appreciate uh, or most people appreciate, I think. Uh, and I, I think one of the unique characteristics of that community is the camaraderie that everyone feels uh, about protecting, defending, and investing into the quality of life that we've had there for so many years. Uh, and even if you're in the same industry, you know, your, your, your vision of, of making Siloam Springs, you know, one of the best small-town communities in the state of Arkansas— uh, you know, everybody's going to band together and work together for the common good of all. Uh, and that's very unique, uh, I think, in, uh, in our community is that we partner together, we take care of each other, uh, and uh, I think that's a unique characteristic of our community. Uh, we, we're a very principles-based community as well, I would say. Uh, we held uh, the world record of so many churches or per. <laughs> Capita, you know, yeah. so I consider our community the Bible buckle uh, of the nation, probably. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, there's a lot of value that comes from a community that embraces 
the principles and values that have created what we've had and enjoyed for so long. Lots of great places to eat too. Yeah, well, that helps. That's right. right? It does. Help. It, it does. It's a, it's a big again. If it can bring Aggies and Razorbacks together, you know, it's it's always a plus. That's right. That's right. Um, it, it may take some doing to continue that trend. You know, as far as impact, impacting um, not just your community, but the industry, uh, the banking industry mm-hmm. as a whole, what, what are some of the things you can do um, to make an impact on those two specific variables there? Yeah. You know, Max, as one of the things that I've learned over the years to be an effective uh, well, person, individual, and banker is to be a good listener. Uh, hearing people out, uh, making sure you understand what they're uh, what their passion is, what their concerns are, how do you help them get from A to Z? Uh, you know, you've got to be able to do that. You solve problems, you know, with people. Uh, so I'm looking forward to learning more about what are some of the things, uh, for example, uh, one of the police departments that I met with uh, gave me a couple of examples of some uh, laws that have uh, really never been updated over the years, and it restricts funding and appropriations for certain things that they really need. Uh, but because of laws that were passed in the 60s and have never been updated, it's handcuffed, quite honestly, their efforts to support a certain area of, of, of their police department. So I think things like that, whether it's, it's with, uh, you know, municipal government, whether it's with farming and ranching, uh, legislation that might impact, you know, property owners, you know, landlords, um, uh, real estate management companies, you know, how do we get under the hood under some of this legislation that, that is, you know, no longer relevant, uh, needs to be updated, uh, and helps our business community foster the continued development and growth that we need to employ people uh, and to provide jobs. And, you know, if, if, uh, if the businesses prosper, uh, the people prosper. And so I think being a part of that and understanding uh, being on the front line of uh, the banking community in our state and being able to bring relevant uh, discussion and collaboration uh, to the table and to Little Rock, I think is something that's going to have some impact that I'm really, really looking forward to being a part of. So are you uh, are you out knocking on doors? Not just yet, okay. but I am looking for some tennis shoes. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I do have a segment, the strangest or weirdest law in every state. Okay. All right. I'm going to ask you if you can identify the state that this law is still currently on the books and in effect for. Okay. All right. So in Fenwick Island, a town, you can't tailgate or otherwise picnic around your car between midnight and 6 a.m. That has to be the state of Oklahoma. Delaware. 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 Oh, my. Yeah. So and it says it's a big bummer for Dover, uh, Dover's late night minor league baseball team. But for the most part, everybody else, I think, is able to get around it. Okay. All right. The next one here is... Contrary to popular belief, it is not illegal to throw snowballs in Rexburg. It is, however, illegal to throw snowballs in such a manner as to really destroy a person or property. Wow. Well, it's not South Texas. No, no. Yeah, this would be would, more of a northern state here. Yeah. How about Minnesota? Close. Close. Idaho. Idaho. Idaho there. I guess Rexburg is in Idaho. <laughs> 
This one I think you'll I think you'll <laughs> you'll find pretty funny. It's unlawful to sell dyed baby chicks that you see around Easter unless you sell them in groups of six or more. Wow. Yeah. That is that's that's prohibitive. Exactly. I mean, goodness gracious. So I would say, um, man, Oklahoma. So Kentucky. 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 Yes. I thought they had more horses than they yeah, were chicks. I don't I don't know where that where that comes from at all. Um, all right, last one here. No person shall sound the horn on a vehicle at any place where cold drinks or sandwiches are served after 9 p.m. After 9 p.m. How about Louisiana? Again, you're, you're close. That is the great state of Arkansas. Arkansas. So that's something that you can, uh, that you can start working on here to make sure that we can sound our horns after 9 p.m. where cold drinks or sandwiches are served. So That'll be the first piece of legislation that I work on if I get the honor. That's of great to hear. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad we've, we've got your support for that. You've right got there. it. So. You've got it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like this episode, please leave a five-star rating and drop a review. Follow us on our socials, which can be found in the show notes below. We will catch you next time.